Hey everyone, welcome to She Brigade the Podcast. I'm your host, Bilun Lumsemech. On each episode, we bring you amazing trailblazing women to come share with you their life and career journeys, from entrepreneurs to nine to fivers and everyone in between. Our guests go through all of the highs and all the lows of this life journey that have brought them to being who they are today. Let's dive in. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of She Brigade. On today's episode, I'm sitting down with Sile Bolani. Sile is a transformation specialist. She is a communication strategist and specializes in brand communication, internal communication, employee engagement, and many, many more. Um, Sile also has platforms such as Connected with Sile, the Epilogue with Sile Bolani. These platforms are meant to empower women and, and empower actually everyone in the workplace really so the most important thing though that, that what I why I wanted Sita on the podcast is because she also she's also the author of a book called we are the ones we need the war on black professionals in corporate South Africa so welcome to the show Sita thank you for having me thank you so much for coming on to the show so on here, I like to start all the way from the beginning. So please take us all the way back, from back to younger Sile, um, how you were, what it was like growing up for you. Yeah, just take us all the way back. Okay, uh, that was a very long time ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was born and uh, raised in Durban. Um, so I am a I'm a Zulu Kosa girl. <laughs> Zulu Kosa. Um, I'm a Zulu Kosa girl. I was raised by a single mom and I'm an only child. So it was very interesting uh, growing up, um, especially from a, I guess, a social uh, perspective in that, you know, I didn't have any cousins who were my age, you know. Um, so it was always I guess I was a bit delayed in, you know, getting um, my social life in check. Um, I kind of grew up like everybody else, you know, post um, 92-ish, started going to what we then called multiracial schools. Mm. Um, And it was always very interesting to me coming into this environment where, you know, previously I was just surrounded by black kids, colored kids, Indian kids, and now being surrounded by predominantly white kids. And, you know, the innocence of youth, we all come into it feeling and believing that everybody's the same, we're all equal, Mm. you know, Um, Mm -hmm. and then realizing through people's behaviors that actually we're not the same, that people do treat you differently. Um, even though at the time I was probably too young to really understand it. It's only now when I'm reflecting on those days that I realized that actually, you know, there was a lot of harmful things that happened in those days just on the basis of race, even at that young age. Mm. Um, when I was about 15 or 16, moved to Joburg. Um, so I matriculated here in Joburg. Um after high school, I didn't really know what I wanted to study um, because, again, we weren't really exposed much to careers. You know, what are the various options that are available to us? Yeah. Um, so my mom had suggested that I study IT because IT was a very booming career at the time. It was the hot new thing. <laughs> and, you know, it had so many great opportunities. And I was just like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't have any other ideas. So I signed up for IT and I hated it. Like, hated, <laughs> hated it. <laughs> I did not want to do programming. I hated it, you know, Um So eventually dropped out and got to a point where I figured out, okay, what I actually want to study is PR. And so I then went into, went to a different institution where I studied PR advertising um, and brand management. How did you come to that? Sorry. How did you come mm -hmm. to that realization that you wanted to go into PR? There's um, a PR 
agency um, that I was interning with when I was still in high school. Um, So that's kind of where I got my first experience of PR. But the interesting thing to me, and it's something that I also mentioned in my book, is even though I had that exposure when, when I was still in high school, for some reason, I never considered PR as a career. Mm. It never occurred to me that this could be something that I will study. And so I had to kind of think about why that was. And I realized that everybody that I saw or that I was exposed to um, who ran a PR company was white. Oh, wow. Yes. And black people just worked for them. Yeah. You know, so the black people were the people who ran around, who did the things, you know, who coordinated things. And so for me, that disconnect automatically, I guess subconsciously just said to me, not career for black success. Yeah. You know, Um, so, yeah, I guess that's why I didn't initially think of it. But, you know, um, when I did eventually realize that that's the work that I enjoy doing, um, fortunately, my mom was very, very supportive. um, And so I was able to go and, you know, start again. Mm. fresh doing something that I actually enjoy and I thoroughly enjoyed it um, um so what I love love then still love now about about PR and brand and all of that is that it, it allows me to use both my creative and my logical sides um so it's a perfect combination for me um but what I never anticipated was that 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 work would lead me into different streams of work that I never imagined, like, you know, addressing issues of organizational culture and transformation um, back of my book. So it's really been a very interesting and very unpredictable journey. Oh, sorry, I missed... Okay, so, um, Sile, mm. please tell us a bit about um, when you started working and how, how that journey was. Okay, so when I was in my final year, um, I applied for a graduate program um, at a financial institution. Um, and so I went through quite a, a rigorous recruitment process actually it was quite intense it was interviews um you know one-on-one interviews interviews in front of panels a full day session of interviews it was it was like <laughs> it was almost <laughs> as though you were on an episode of survivor <laughs> you know <laughs> and it's just like a whole bunch of hopefuls that are all you know we're probably all wearing formal clothes for the first time <laughs> in our yes. lives you know <laughs> all I can just trying to Right? Because I, I also have... interviewed with multiple graduate programs. Oh my gosh, it was yeah. so intense and it's so stressful. <laughs> and you're all trying to be friendly to each other, but you mm-hmm. all are like gunning for the same positions. <laughs> and you're all trying to figure suss out the competition. Like it was just insane, actually. Um, so it, that was successful. So before I even finished my final year, the job was secured, mm. um, which was great because not many people have that opportunity. And even back then, I realized what a privilege it was to know that I can focus on finishing my final year and not be stressed about having to start looking for a job or secure mm. employment. Um, got into this job again, naively thinking. So I've always been a hard worker I've always been very dedicated and I've always had a very good work ethic um, because I just am very much a stickler for good quality and you know giving your best and so I came into the workplace with that mentality that you know my work will speak for itself I don't have to play games with any firstly I don't even know these games that happen in the workplace but you know I really just felt like my work will carry me through people will notice it because of its quality and you know i will climb Mm. up the corporate ladder you know like any normal young person yeah yeah, definitely (laughs) and then you get into it and you start to realize you know there's certain disparities you know when you look at 
what you're exposed to and what your peers who started with you are exposed to. You know, you start to realize that they have relationships with leaders in the organization that you don't even know when they were formed. Mm. How did you become so friendly with these people? Because we don't get invited to these, you know, um, offline conversations. And so I started realizing that actually I don't get opportunities to create those relationships. I don't get leaders wanting to learn or understand me, how am I finding the environment? What type of support do I need? You know, Mm. Um, mentorship was a myth, you know, Um, and you realize that and people then get invited and exposed to events that you don't get exposed to for their development, but you're not being developed, but you're both graduates on the same program, Mm. you know, and you're like, "Mm, okay. And then you realize that, actually how do they still have money before month end when I literally don't have any money left and then you start seeing that actually there's also the discrepancies in pay that are happening and you're like okay so there's clearly something that's happening here and I seem to be the one who doesn't understand that there's a pecking order Um, Mm -hmm. and so it was very difficult for me to to I guess you know um accept or to process the situation that I was finding myself in or having to deal with the fact that, I mean, that was in 2006, that in 2006, so many years after 1994, Mm. we're still dealing with these issues around race and being, you know, um, discriminated against or being underestimated because you're black and you happen to be a black woman. Mm. So, I then, after my first year, there was a position that came up for a junior brand manager for the group. I applied for it um, and I got the job. So I then, you know, was reporting to somebody else. And so this woman would, you know, give me the most menial tasks to do. And I would, you know, question that and be like, on the basis of my interview and the skills that you were assessing um, in terms of my capabilities, what I'm actually doing is nowhere near that. So when are we actually going to get to the work yeah. <laughs> that I actually yeah. interviewed for, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the more I would question it, the more aggressive she would be and the more she would sideline me I would get escalated to HR like it got so bad we eventually just like wouldn't speak to each other oh my goodness um and as a result of the stress I even developed early onset arthritis I mean I was what that was 2007 so I was 24 years old what on earth you know how does a 24 year old end up with with arthritis you know Mm. as a result of a toxic work environment um so after a few months I eventually I left um I just resigned and because I tried to get the issue resolved through HR nothing happened I tried to escalate it to our divisional director she wasn't interested in resolving it either and also having to deal with the issue of the fact that my boss who was the brand manager for the group actually didn't have the qualifications for that role. She had come in as a PA, Mm. you know? And so you're forced as an educated young black woman to deal with the aggression of an uneducated older white woman who feels threatened by your capabilities. And so she is suppressing you and nobody is there to support you. So it was a very, very difficult period for me. Um, So I quit that. And then I took some time to just work with my mom because my mom had a recruitment company. So I worked with her there and then I decided I want to actually go back into the corporate space. I think I had recovered. So I'm ready to tackle it again. How long, how long was that before you went back? Um, uh, about a year and a half. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's a long time. <laughs> Let me tell you, corporate trauma is, uh, is such a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So I went back. Um, there was a position that opened up at another financial services uh, organization. And so I applied for that, was interviewed, got that job. And I was there for about three and a half years. And in my time there, it was it was very interesting because it's, uh, I mean, the business unit that I was in, also predominantly white, predominantly men, um, and it's just people who just are not interested in developing people. Do you know what I mean? Mm. There just wasn't a culture of caring for people. Um, and so it was very cold, very, you know, uh, very detached. Um, but I kind of just pushed through, did the work um, for the time that I was there. And then um, three and a half years in, I get contacted by another financial services organization for a position that they had open um, and somebody, you know, had recommended me for that role. So they wanted me to, you know, join the application or recruitment process. So at first I was quite resistant. So they would, you know, try and set up interviews and I w so I would accept it. And then after a while I'd be like, yeah, I'm not sure that that's the place for me. And then I'd decline and then they'll try and reschedule and then I'll decline. And then eventually I was like, okay, fine. Jeez, for heaven's sake. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Let's you do know, it. if they're so persistent, <laughs> maybe there's something here, you know? Yeah. Went for the interview, got the job. And then um, not long into it, I started realizing that actually, you know, this race thing is really an issue. Because firstly, um, I would get I would get escalated for my dress code uh, because oh. it's too fashionable. They don't believe yeah. it's appropriate for the workplace, um, you know. And and you know how it is. Um, they have an issue with the shapes of our bodies and the way that clothes sit on us. You know, mm -hmm. there is we we black women are always so sexualized you know, um, against our will in most instances, you know. And so there was a lot of that. And, you know, I remember when my line manager at the time raised this issue with me to say that this is why I had been escalated. And I was like, uh, why are we even having this conversation? Like, how is that even a real thing? How mm -hmm. do these people even have grounds? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I was blown away. <laughs> and then... Um, I also got escalated because there was an agency that they work with and this agency just would produce subpar work. Um, and it had been an agency that had been with them for like 20 years. And, you know, those agencies, they have contracts like that because, you know, they're all friends or their fathers went to school together. And they all play golf together and their children go to the same private school. It's just that type of thing. But the quality of the work they would produce was so horrendous. Um, and I would just, I would send the work back and be like, no, this is not according to the brief. This is what my, re my requirements are. So please, can you go and rework it? Um, because my thing has always been, I'm here to represent this organization and I must do, yeah. you know, the best that I can to ensure that the work that comes out of my space is in line with that and supports this organization's and strategy quality. and it's of the appropriate quality. Exactly. Yeah, I would yeah. get escalated for that and I would actually get into trouble and told to toe the line. I must stop giving the agency such a hard time. Mm. I was like, oh, okay. Clearly, I'm the only one that's interested in producing quality work. I'm the only one who's actually the idiot who is putting the organization first. So maybe I just need to just mind my business, right? For the sake of peace. Um, and so I kind of just kept my head down, did what I needed to do. If the agency didn't produce quality work, I would just do it myself um, and not bother trying to send anything back. Um, about, a, mm -hmm. about a year and a half um, later, I moved into a different area of the organization um, and headed up um, media relations PR for the retail part of the business within South Africa. Um, I got into this business unit, had, so there were marketing managers, 
there were quite a few marketing managers and they all had teams, you know, um, on average about two. So each marketing manager would have like two or so support resources um, because there were about 15 business units that were spread out amongst them. So coming in um, as the PR media relations person, I was looking after all of those 15 business units by myself. And they refused to give me support resources. I kept having to motivate and motivate and there would always be no, no, no. I had to keep putting together documents and lists of work that I do to prove that my workload is high. Um, And I just was like, (laughs) I don't even understand. It's like a parallel universe. How is it that these marketing managers don't have to prove how large their workload is to be able to get the support that they need, but I must sit here and try and prove myself all the time? At the Mm. end of every day, my boss expected me to send her an email listing everything that I had done that day so that she can see how much capacity I have or need, right? Apparently. Mm. Mm. Um, And then the, the turning point really was one incident where I had made a decision regarding um, some media uh, events that we had planned and my boss at the time did not agree with that and she stormed over to my desk and I mean we all sat open plan and she just berated me in front of everyone like you know and somebody just like goes off at you from a dizzy height Uh, she was so disrespectful she was so rude and she you know and then she kind of just turns around and storms off I I think I was (laughs) I was sitting at my desk and she was standing over me and I was so shocked I'd never even responded like my mouth didn't even open because I was just so shell-shocked you know and your brain just freezes because it's just like yeah what's going what just happened And I remember watching her walking away and sitting there. And then I look around me and, you know, now everybody's awkwardly trying to look at you, but not look at you. Yeah. (laughs) Like everybody's like like, trying to look at you, but but they're trying to avoid eye contact. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then I got so angry. So I got up, went to the bathroom. And so for me, when I'm like seriously angry, I cry. So I went to the bathroom, locked myself in a cubicle, and I cried. And I I remember phoning my mom and saying, you will not believe what just happened. And she was like, come home. So I went home, unpacked everything, and got back to the office the next day. And Madam acted like nothing happened. Everything was perfectly normal. And I was just like, okay, this woman is not okay. So about... So I decided that I was going to have a conversation with her about it, but I needed to do it when I was a lot calmer. So that took me like two weeks. So I I had a meeting with her, and in that meeting I said to her, "Um, I don't appreciate the way that you speak to me. If there's something that you're unhappy with, you call me aside and you have a conversation with me. That's the professional way to handle this. Um, And so clearly we are having a problem with knowing how to interact with each other. So I am going to record this with HR and hopefully they can assist. And then she just lost it. She accused me of playing games and, oh, now you want to escalate me? What are you going to say? Your boss was mean to you. Like she just was, she was so derogatory and so disrespectful. And she was like, you know, fine, I see the type of person that you are. And if that's the game that you want to play, then fine, let's play that game. And I was like, what? Game. It's not a game. What game? <laughs> what, am, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, and um, and after that, everything went south. And I mean everything. After that meeting, for a period of eight to ten months, nothing I did was right. All of a sudden, all my stakeholders are unhappy with me. Nobody knows mm. what work I do. Nobody feels that I add any value to them. People weren't inviting me to meetings. When I question why, it's, well, they don't see your value. So, I mean, why should they invite you? Um, I remember when we had to do performance reviews at the end of the year, 
So we all would have to submit names of, you know, stakeholders that they can send requests for reviews for, from, to. And so I submitted, usually on average, we would send about five names. But I was like, okay, let me, because of the situation, let me send more names. So I sent like nine names. This woman came back um, and she had sent re uh, requests for reviews for my performance to 35 people. Oh my goodness. I was like, oh, what? And this was now after the performance review uh, thing process had been closed when I find out that she had requested 35 oh. people. When I tried to escalate it with HR, HR obviously it's you know neither here nor there they're very non-committal um and so i was literally on my own and as expected when we then are having the review discussion nobody's happy with you uh nobody feels that you add value or people feel that you don't make an effort to engage with them you should be mm. getting up and walking every day to each marketing manager to find out what's happening in their space if you want them to trust you excuse me I'm the one that must earn trust. They don't have to do that in return. They have support resources, but I must walk around to them every day and ask them what they're every doing. Every day. They know that in order for them to fulfill their strategic objectives, they have to have PR. It should be part of their job descriptions. How is it that they are not making an effort to interact with me proactively? And then I think that cherry on top of it all was the fact that even though 35 people uh, were asked to give feedback on me I was not asked to give feedback on a single person oh my goodness and when I questioned it the response was oh we didn't ask you oh I guess we forgot <laughs> well yeah sorry mm. I was appalled. I think that's the po the point where I, I really realized that I'm in a war, literally in a war, and every single person is in on it. You know, um, all of a sudden, the PR agency who I've been working so well with is no longer happy with me. Um, they are escalating me, saying that I am rude to them. And when I ask for examples, nobody can actually produce any examples of anything. You know, um, and, you know, there were key people who had been, you know, who had given negative feedback about me. And when I have meetings with them to say, help me understand where this unhappiness comes from, they would get so defensive and so angry because what, what, what's the point of these questions? Why are we even having this conversation? I don't You need to just take this feedback and just grow from it. That's what we all do. It's constructive. No, it's not constructive. <laughs> oh, no. Anything but. <laughs> Well, it's constructive dismissal. That's what it is, actually, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And I tried to go through HR processes uh, and I just never got any satisfaction. And eventually I escalated to the, the CEO of our um, division. And she ignored me for three weeks. And then I escalated it to the CEO of the group. And only then... Wow. The things start, you know, all of a sudden HR is now available to have a conversation, you know. Um, and then I had to go through a grievance process. But even that obviously was just rigged completely because the chair in the grievance would be defending my boss. You know, there was an incident where my boss swore at me in a meeting. And um, the chair was like, well, I mean, I think she's just a really passionate person. And it's not a her issue. I think it's just an organizational culture thing. You know, I, <laughs> you know, when you just give up on the process <laughs> because you realize that yeah. actually there is no intention of doing right by you. There is no intention of implementing any sort of justice, even though it is so blatant that they are literally trying to push me out of the organization in the most painful way. And so... <sighs> Um, eventually I left, um, at the end of 2015, I had no job, I had no plan, but I, I couldn't anymore because there was, uh, a few months before I left, 
um, I had to be rushed to the emergency room um, because oh. of chest pains. And, uh, you know, when I was lying in that hospital bed, and I think it was like 11 p.m., waiting for test results and connected to drips and machines and all sorts of things. And I was still on my phone doing emails. And I thought to myself, this is actually not normal because I'm in a hospital bed. I've just been told that, you know, I'm at risk of having a heart attack. I am, I was 31 years old, I think at the time. And I'm sitting doing emails for the same organization that's trying to kill me, you know, but at the same time, I understand that they have waged this war against me. And if there's anything, no matter how tiny that slips through the cracks, then they're going to Mm. have all that they need to be able to kick me out because at that stage, they couldn't kick me out on any basis because they had no proof of anything. I always delivered above beyond expectations. They could never actually fault my work. Um, Mm. So, you know, I was kind of stuck in that place of having to, no matter what, do the best I could, always show up, up, always, Mm. you know, outperform everyone, always, all of these things, you know, having to wake up every morning, go to the office and have your brave face on, have it all together. They're not going to see that they're affecting me in any kind of way. And then going home at the end of every day and crying my heart out because I'm so unhappy. I'm so stressed. I am frustrated. I am anxious. I'm not sleeping. They were just, it was just, oh, it was a horrible, horrible period. And it's that experience that really is what's translated in my book, We Are The Ones We Need. Because Mm -hmm. I realized that I'm not the only person who's going through this. And we all suffer in silence or we kind of talk about it in our small groups or we whisper about it in the canteen, but nobody actually speaks about it openly. And until we actually get to a point where we start speaking about it openly, where we take back our power, then nothing's going to change. That's true. Sure. Wow. That's crazy. Everything you're saying is actually crazy. I honestly felt like I was in a horror movie and I just, you know, in every day, like, please, can I wake up? And it's a different reality. Yes. Please tell me I'm dreaming because there is no way that there are people who are this cruel and this evil. They, this cannot be a real thing because it's such a difficult thing to process that people will wake up every day and think, okay, how are we going to make life even worse for her today than we did yesterday? Mm. You know? And they still go home every night and they're able to sleep. No. Oh, and then how are you also discovering that you're earning a third of what your peers are earning? So it was just it was a lot. (laughs) How were you, if at all, like in your personal capacity, trying to cope with all of this? Um, I'm fortunate to have had a very solid support system um, in terms of family, like my mom. and her best friend, who's my second mom. So they truly were instrumental in helping me keep sane. But at the same time, um, I, 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 you know, it, it really affected my, um, my capacity to engage with people. So I kind of drifted away from a lot of people, from friends. I kind of spent more and more time on my own um, in isolation because it was just too much for me. I was exhausted. It was difficult on most days to even show up as a mom because it's hard. You have this environment that you're dealing with every day and then you have to come home and be a mom and do homework and cook and engage. And then you know that there's work waiting for you because you spend all your day in meetings, you have no support, so you still have to actually get onto your computer and do the work that you couldn't do because you were stuck in meetings all day. Mm. So by the time I would get to sleep, it's like three, or 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, and then I'm up again at 5 to go to gym and then go to work every day for eight months. Like it was, it was horrible. And it was hard. And, you know, there were a lot lot of tears. There were a lot of moments where I would sit and question the validity of their claims. Like, are they right? 
are they maybe, maybe I, I like, maybe, maybe I'm not you. delivering actually maybe yeah. maybe you know my performance really is poor um and you know that gave rise to so much self-doubt um and imposter syndrome was something that I still struggle with now is I have to actively push back against it because you know it kind of appears it's nasty little head every now and then when you know I think okay I'm, I want to do this um, I know I'm capable so I'm going to do it and then you know it will come around and be like oh really are you sure about that <laughs> you know and the root of that is those experiences where people just question constantly your worth your value and it's hard and we don't talk about it enough. The emotional and intellectual mm-hmm. trauma that those kinds of environments have on us, the abuse, the toxicity, the racism, the discrimination, the underpay. So you actually don't get a break at all because when you're not mm-hmm. at work, you're stressing about work. Yes. So, yeah, it was, it was horrible. I, I, read, I read somewhere about you that you have this you you have a favorite quote that says i did not come into this world to leave it as i found yes it. can you t- tell me a bit about why that why you love that quote and what what are you doing now because every, your experience is crazy and it, but as crazy as it sounds it's actually to an extent normal for a lot of it's a lot of people's mm-hmm. norms so can you just relate that back to the quote as well so you know, before I had my, that experience, um, I'd always kind of been the kind of person who just minds their business, does what they need to do. And my only focus was producing what is required of me to the best of my abilities. And that's really it. You know, I never really thought so much about all the other issues that happen in the workplace. I never considered how I can make a meaningful difference. Do you know what I mean? Because when you're not exposed to things, Mm. and in most instances, if you're not exposed blatantly to certain things, then you don't really pay attention to them. And after going through my experience, and as painful as it was, coming out of it um, and surviving it, a lot of people don't. Um, You know, I realized that there's something there's a reason why I went through that experience and that reason is far bigger than me and I also realized that I come from a position of privilege and that I had a support system that helped me develop the courage to speak up I was never a confrontational person hated confrontation can't stand it you know um And so I would always try to avoid it as much as possible. But when I was confronted by it and had to go through it and realizing that, oh, okay, I can actually do this. I realized that actually there's a lot of people who go through that and who don't have the the privilege of a support system that says to them, you are going to fight this and we're going to stand beside you. And whatever you need, we will help Mm -hmm. you. Um, for many people, mm. um, you know, if you if they say to their families, I'm unhappy, they're not treating me well, you know, oftentimes the response is just stick it out, be grateful you have a job. You know, so many people, yes. so many people would die for that opportunity, you know. So you end up feeling, you know, being being stuck in this thing of this conflict of, yes, I'm grateful, but also I'm dying. So what comes first? Um, So I decided that I want to use, firstly, my voice um, to be able to represent other Black professionals and specifically Black women in the workplace. Um, And then as the traction from the book kind of grew, I realized that there's just, there's so many things to do, but also understanding that there's a lot of resistance to actual real transformation in the workplace. Yes. Um, so there are a lot of things, obviously, that I, you know, are going to take a while to to come into play. But I decided that where I am right now, with the resources that I have, I'm going to do the best that I can to make sure that I am able to help other people better navigate these spaces or, you know, find safe places for them to be able to share their stories, feel validated, create support systems and networks you know, they kind of fortify their resolve within the workplace. And so first I started um, working while black. 
which is a website um, that has all sorts of information relating to career. It's articles around just general career issues or, or challenges. There's some content around HR-related matters. There's some labor law-related information, just so that people know their rights. They know what type of things to look out yeah. for. Uh, they know how to navigate difficult conversations in the workplace, how to deal with bullies, you know, that type of stuff. And then from there, I developed the epilogue with Sikha Balani, which is a YouTube um, uh, uh, platform that I have where I have conversations with people who are specialists in their field. And we talk about the challenges um, that black professionals are exposed to. Like, for instance, I have a conversation with um, an HR executive where I really try to unpack this issue of the lack of mistrust, the lack of trust between black professionals and HR. And where does it go wrong? And where does HR start and end? And why do so many black people feel failed mm. by HR? Um, I have a conversation with a psychologist around the, the impact, the psychological impact on, of bullying um, on black professionals. Um, I even have a conversation with a medical doctor around the trends that they are seeing in the number of black professionals who are actually being admitted to mental health facilities and how that numbers that number is skyrocketing because black people are actually being put under the worst circumstances and we are actually falling apart we are suffering from anxiety we're suffering from depression so many black professionals have died by suicide because of toxic work environments um, so my, my intention is to bring all of these issues to the fore because I want us to start having these conversations and get serious about them and start addressing them appropriately because at some point they won't be able to ignore us. At some point they won't be able to yeah. muzzle us anymore, you know. Um, and then from there I started Connected, which is a platform specifically for black women in the workplace and essentially with that, it is to expose them to, you know, um, skills that you don't learn at varsity or in leadership courses, you know. So I bring in facilitators and it's a full, like, so every two months we get together and it's a full day session of actual workshops uh, with different facilitators addressing different areas of our lives from, you know, um, so I have a, uh, career coaches, personal coaches, HR strategists, um, those types of people um, to, to help the ladies learn, understand, and navigate themselves, their careers, uh, the workplace. Um, but also my intention with Connected is to be able to build a network or a, a, a pipeline even of Black women who are adequately you know, equipped for opportunities within either executive positions and organizations or even board memberships, because I want to be able to be um, a platform for black women to be exposed to the opportunities that actually elevate them in the workplace. Yes. Mm. And so those are the things that I am kind of running with at the moment. I mean, that's a lot. <laughs> then, and then I still, you're like, yeah, yeah. I'm just busy with this. Yeah, it's, well. it's, um, it's, it's, yeah. Oh, and then now I've just started uh, my podcast, which is the Workplace Revolution. Um, mm. And so there also is just more of these conversations um, because I'm really trying to make sure that the content that I create is not only interesting and empowering, um, but also easy for people to access and digest on whichever platform yes. that they prefer. So I'm also going to be, you know, uh, having other content on my YouTube channel, which is Sikhle Bolani. So there it's really more about the holistic picture. So not just work-related stuff, but also life, because, you know, work doesn't happen in isolation, you know, there's yes. so many different things that happen in our lives and trying to have those conversations, very real and raw conversations. Mm. Mm. I was actually having a conversation with my sister the other day about how we cannot talk about work yeah. in isolation because 
your personal life directly feeds to, into how you perform at work. And at the same time, your whatever's going on at work can directly feed into how you show absolutely, up in your personal life absolutely. as well. It's such mm. a big part of you. Mm, mm. Oh, wow. Um, I, I actually really love the title of your book, We Are the Ones We Need, because um, so on this podcast, I, I have my favorite quote. My favorite quote is, be who you needed when oh, you were yes. younger. That's what I love. And with I love that it actually ties, I feel like it ties right into your book and what you try to do. And with all mm-hmm. the platforms that you've mentioned, um, it's about being who you would have needed. And younger doesn't have to be like yes. when you were necessarily a kid. It could have been two years ago. Yes. It could be yesterday who you needed, you know. So um, with that quote, I always ask all of my guests this question. Um, if you could go back in time and speak to younger mm. CK, what would you say to her? Um, I think that, hmm, you know, it's, it's always, it's always such an interesting, (laughs) um, thing because obviously the answer to this question evolves as you get older, right? So it's kind of changed so much over the years, you know, it's kind of gone from, you know, um, you can have whatever you can achieve whatever you want or you know there's all of these different things that you think you would have said to your younger self but I think right now what I would say to my younger self is um nobody no matter what they do will ever be able to stop your power or what you have been put on this earth to do Oh, wow. Mm. I love mm. that. I think that's probably, mm. yeah, because it's, it, I mean, being in this line of work um, is very challenging, um, not just in terms of the work itself, but just the in, emotional aspect of it and the psychological aspect of it. And even now, I mean, I consult. But even in those spaces, because I go into organizations that, oh my gosh, need help, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> when you, you, you come in to, to do just that and people literally make your life difficult. And so even though I've written this book, yeah. even though I'm vocal about this stuff and people know that, you know, because when you decide to get into some kind of agreement or partnership or collaboration with me, you know exactly what I'm about. But even with all of that, people will still try it with me. So how much more for people who don't have that voice, you know? Yes, yes. Oh no, people yes. love trying me. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. Sisha, thank you so much. How can our listeners get in touch with you? Or get in touch with the work um, that you do as well? They can okay. On Twitter, I am at Sisha Bolani underscore. On Instagram, it's at Sisha Bolani. Um, there is also sihlebolani.com, workingwellblack.co.za. Um, yeah, I think that's, yeah, that's the best ways to reach me. Sure. Okay. Thank you so much. Um, and, yeah. and just before we wrap up, just for me personally as well, I do want to thank you so much for all the work that you're doing. You know, I am a young black female professional as well, working in the corporate world. And even though I may not necessarily have gone through what I've not really gone through what you've gone through, I've, I have mm-hmm. friends that have, and I see things like this all the time, um, not necessarily in my own organization, but just everywhere, you know? So I really do appreciate the kind of work that you do. We need more platforms um, where, where women can come together and help each other get through things. We need more platforms where we can hear the voices of someone that has gone through the same thing as me. So I'm really, I'm so grateful for all the work that you do. I really am. Thank you so, so much. But I think even in addition to that, you know, we need legislators to actually start, you know, doing their jobs and start doing more to protect black professionals because conversations will only get us so far. 
organize we need to acknowledge mm. that organizations are not just gonna you know come around tomorrow and be like oh sorry for everything we're different now you know they actually we realize that they mm. have to be forced by the law to do the right things and the law needs to now actually start yes. catering to our needs as black professionals mm, mm. Mm, that that's very true that's actually really really true Thank you so, so much for this conversation. It's been, I mean, for half the time, I was just like, <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> but it is, it's is—it's been very enlightening as well. I really... Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, wow. I, wow. You're Even <laughs> I sometimes feel like this can't be a real thing. Like if I hadn't lived through it, I would be like, there's yeah. no way. That's not possible. There's no way. But, and and like I was saying, honestly speaking, I, I know ex- exactly what you're talking about. I know what you're talking about. Um, I mean, I've, I'm lucky enough to have had an amazing boss when I started working in amazing like um colleagues but i know exactly what you're talking about i have i've sat with my friends in the toilet when they were crying mm-hmm. and i'm comforting them so i know i literally yeah, know what no, you're it's talking rough about out there it's really hard it's really thank hard you. thank you so much Sile. um i will probably air this okay. podcast in two weeks so um i think it's the 30th okay monday the 30th um and i but i'll send you everything before okay, i air perfect. i'll let you know um, when I aired as well. Thank you so much. Days. Thank you. Bye. You too. Enjoy the rest of your day and yes, please. From corona. <laughs> Isolation. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in, guys. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. As always, we love to engage with all of you, so feel free to pop us an email if you have any feedback or guest recommendations on info at shebrigade.com. We're also on Twitter and Instagram, so don't forget to tag us on your posts at SheBrigade. See you next week.